Welcome to Our Opinions Are Correct, a bi-weekly podcast about the meaning of science fiction. I'm Charlie Jane Anders. I'm a science fiction writer who obsesses about science. And I'm Annalie Newitz. I'm a science journalist who writes science fiction. And today we're going to be talking about superhero movies. We're so excited about the release of Avengers Affinity War that we decided to geek out about why superhero movies are still ruling Hollywood, why we still care about them, and what even makes something a superhero movie? Like, what even are superheroes? So we're not going to talk about Avengers Infinity War that much today because it's brand new and we're still just reeling from like all the infinity of it and everything and like <laughs> crisis on infinite infinities. Yeah, Hulk <laughs> and Rock, Rocket Raccoon and everything. But we're excited about the genre of superhero movies which honestly, especially nowadays it feels like they just rule everything. Like Hollywood is basically like completely superhero movie dependent. And superheroes are becoming more and more our modern mythology. We have a whole network, the CW, which is basically just wall-to-wall superhero TV shows. And it's just, it's becoming like our, the way that we think about empowerment and the way that we think about her- heroism is filtered through that superhero story. And I'm kind of curious about why that is. And I mean, I think some of it is about the, is about a very American idea of individualism. Right. And I think that, you know, most of the superheroes we're going to be talking about in this show are um, have an American origin um, and certainly have a Western origin. And I the, this sort of idea in in the United States is that you know individuals can overcome anything. Like if you just have one person who's awesome enough, they can like fix all the problems. So I think that's part of what is so appealing about a superhero. Yeah, a superhero is basically the great man theory of history in human form, like in the form of a single individual. And if you think about what superheroes are as a genre, they kind of straddle every possible genre. There's epic fantasy, there's gritty noir, urban violence and crime drama, there's like space opera, there's westerns, there's everything. Uh, And, you know, the fact that the Hulk can be a superhero alongside Thor... And then, you know, you can have someone like Jonah Hex, who's like a cowboy superhero. It can be pretty much any genre at this point. But what makes it a superhero story, I think, is that there is a person who is the superhero or who's part of a group of superheroes sometimes who individually has a particular power or in the case of like Batman, has a particular kind of set of skills and attributes that makes him more heroic or more kind of able to affect change than everybody else around him. Darkness, no parents, continue darkness, more darkness, get it? The opposite of light, black hole. It's, it's kind of the chosen one story, and we were talking about this earlier, and you were saying, well, I don't really feel like Batman fits the chosen one idea. Yeah, I mean, I think... Batman is somebody who decides to become a superhero after his parents are killed through a sheer exertion of will and like just determination. He gets these skills and he becomes the greatest detective and he's kind of an outlier. I think Captain America also is somebody who decides to become a superhero, but Spider-Man, you know, Superman, most of the other big ones 
often just luck into it or power drops onto them and they are just chosen by fate or by circumstance to wield some kind of power that they then have to wield wisely. And a huge theme is always an individual who has such a disproportionate amount of power has to use it wisely and responsibly and like the whole with great power comes great responsibility thing. And, you know, the idea is that one person is like more powerful than like the mass of humanity as a whole. Look, when you can do the things that I can, but you don't, and then the bad things happen, they happen because of you. Yeah, and since I was sort of picking on this idea earlier that these are kind of American stories, specifically North American stories, I wanted to note, just to defend my sort of chosen one um, idea, that the United States was founded by Puritans who were obsessed with this idea of who is the elect. They believed that the moment you're born, some people are chosen by God and some people are not chosen. Those who are chosen are the elect. And they came up with these incredible, like, pretzel logic ways of figuring out who the elect were. And one way to know whether you were the elect was if you succeeded financially in life, if you if you had, if you were successful, um, if you amassed power, if you amassed money. Um, and so, which of course was a great might makes right, uh, you know, idea, but also it fits in nicely with Batman who, you know, actually does succeed as a, as a, you know, an, an Iron Man too, like these businessmen who are so powerful, partly because they're rich. Um, they really are the kind of puritanical idea of the elect. And we have this idea going back to Horatio Alger that, you know, success equals virtue and that, you know, yes, anybody who is successful in our economy that's because they're a good person or they're hardworking or they have like American virtues. And there's a huge strand in American thought of like basically blaming the poor for their own problems mm -hmm. and also like lionizing anybody who is powerful and successful, like, you know, our president allegedly and other people like that. And, you know, superheroes play around with a lot of archetypes. Like there is the Nietzschean Ubermensch idea, which, you know, the Superman, which literally is what becomes Superman. Um, and this idea of like the one individual who has the will to power, who has the like ability to, to control his or her own destiny, usually his. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to me to see what happens with the Incredibles coming back because the Incredibles is the ultimate kind of individual versus society story. And it felt fresh in all sorts of ways when it came out, like, I don't know, 15 years ago. But coming back now at a time when I think we're thinking about the individual versus society in a much more complicated way, I think that's going to be interesting to see how that's received. And of course, it's a more feminist spin on The Incredibles because it's like the wife, Mrs. Incredible, who is kind of the centerpiece this time. One thing I really wanted to mention really quickly is that a lot of superhero stories also kind of revolve around, especially recently, revolve around the idea of celebrity and around the superhero as kind of like almost, you know, a reality TV character who's being scrutinized or who's being looked up to and how that shades into being kind of a fascist leader or how it shades into, you know, being like in the classic, The Dark Knight Returns, Batman is talked about on television a lot. We talked about this in the propaganda episode. And then he kind of becomes the center of this cult of post-apocalyptic mutants who follow him around and he leads them with like fascist speeches. And I mean, it's a it's an absolutely in-your-face theme in Batman versus Superman. And say <laughs> say what you want about that film, and I've said many things. Um, you know, it, it deals explicitly with the idea that, that Superman is kind of a, a potential fascist dictator. 
And that fear, I think, inhabits a lot of superhero movies now and superhero shows. And there's also this sense that, you know, the superhero is kind of, it's becoming kind of meta, you know, that we're, that we're thinking about superheroes as such. And I think that's why, uh, especially in like the recent, um, some of the recent films, like we've had characters talking about basically branding, like, you know, that ha- your, your brand is tarnished because you destroyed the UN or, <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you get more followers or, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's, what's been interesting about seeing the show, the tick come back because the tick as both a comic book and has been through several iterations of different shows was meta from the very beginning and has always been kind of about well what is a superhero and like how do you how do you construct a superhero and where do they fit into the media landscape and stuff like that yeah and i think the question of branding is something that's in the incredibles too where they talk about costumes and yeah. like the look and it's fashion design well be bold dramatic yeah. heroic yeah something classic like uh, Dyna guy. Oh, he had a great look. Oh, the cape and the boots. No capes. And it's something that comes up in a lot of these stories in different interesting ways. Like there was a great comic in the 90s called X-Statics that was about like a group of X-Men who basically were celebrities. And it was about celebrity culture. One of the things that's really changed recently in superhero movies is that we're finally getting beyond kind of the Supermans and the Batmans. And we've had incredible success with Wonder Woman Uh, with Black Panther, where we're seeing, you know, women and people of color uh, coming to the fore as heroes and really uh, resonating with audiences. I think that's the thing that's the big revelation is that people are hungry for these stories. Yeah, and people really want the story of a savior or somebody who is special, who can kind of be meaningful to everybody else and rescue everybody else. But they don't necessarily want it to be a white guy all the time anymore and I think that that idea of like the kind of special person not having to be Bruce Wayne is really powerful for people it's meaningful and it's it's especially right now also one of the things that I found so interesting about Black Panther was that it is about it is sort of the story of the chosen one but it's also about how Black Panther's identity is tied up in his community. It's about him being a community leader. And yes, he's a king. And so there's all these problems around maybe monarchy isn't the best system. Uh, maybe we should have a social democracy Black Panther. But leaving that aside, the way we're shown Wakanda in the film is that it is a kind of social democracy and that his role is really to bring them together and to lead them wisely. And that one of his super heroic characteristics is that he is a wise and just leader of a community. He's not just the loner. He's not just like, I'll do it all by myself. It's like he needs to have like his sister. He needs to have his um, guardians, his his amazing The Dora Milaje. The Dora Milaje. And he can't do it on his own. I wish to bring Klo back here to stand trial. Wakanda does not need a warrior right now. We need a king. My parents were killed when he attacked. Not a day goes by when I do not think about what Claw took from us. From me? It's too great an opportunity to pass. It's a group effort, and his mother is an important part of the movie. There's like a lot of strong women in that movie who help him not just to solve problems, but also to make decisions. And, you and know, other and strong Nakia, community leaders, yeah. Yeah, Nakia, Shuri. It's like a movie that where it really does take everybody working together to, to fix what's gone wrong. 
And, you know, what was interesting was that the best part of Wonder Woman for me was when we're with the Amazons on the island in that community. And once we're away from that, it's still a great movie. I love the crossing no man's land sequence. But as soon as we leave the island, it's just Wonder Woman surrounded by mostly male characters in kind of the outside world. And it's a fish out of water story, but it doesn't have quite as much like just raw power as when we get to see her in her community. And I think that, um, you know, the male characters who accompany her, they become kind of sidekicks. They become a, a community of sorts. But the difference between her group that she goes across no man's land with, that group of men, and, for example, um, you know, the citizens of Wakanda, the Dora Milaje, things like that, is that this is a bunch of scrappy guys who are kind of not leaders you know they're they're with her because they're outcasts in right. a sense whereas in black panther like all of the people who are helping him are also leaders in their own right and also makers of of great technology and things like that so they they are in a position to help organize the community whereas wonder woman's uh team her scooby gang uh they all have special skills but those skills don't include leading a nation of awesome woman warriors, for example, or, no, or awesome pacifists. Absolutely. Not. There's nobody as great as Shuri in that group. And, you know, it's interesting because, like, in the past we had, we've had movies like Blade or Hancock, or we had female superheroes, like there was a Supergirl movie, there was an Elektra movie, there was a Catwoman Cat with Halle Berry, <laughs> there was My Super Ex-Girlfriend that's about a female superhero, but those movies never really felt like they were heroic in the right way. They always felt like they were kind of like, well, I love Blade, actually, I should say, I love Blade. I am like a total Blade fan, and Blade 2, love Blade 2. Oh my two. god, Blade 2 is the best movie, I mean, I love anything Del Toro does, but the Blade movies are sort of straddling the, the superhero vampire vampire line it's partly just about like vampires fighting each other it could almost be one of the underworld movies in in terms of how it's handled and you get something like hancock where we can have a black superhero but he has to be a screw up he has to be somebody somebody that everybody else looks down on and he has to kind of prove himself and clean up his act and that's like the most of the arc of hancock and then you have these female superheroes who are kind of sad and pathetic you know? Yeah, well, Catwoman for sure. Catwoman has, like, become kind of a joke. I mean, even the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman was a bit of a joke. And I think, you know, certainly the Halle Berry version was, you know, everyone wants to forget that that happened. And talking about Black Panther has really made me think that, you know, one of the things that's been really interesting in superhero movies recently is how they've been moving more into the realm of political thrillers. And this was very blatant with uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which was very much modeled all the all these 1970s, like all the president's men kind of thrillers. But also the Christopher Nolan Batman movies are all about like the politics of Gotham City. And it comes up in various ways in different places. And, you know, superhero movies are always about like whether cities will be destroyed in terms of their physical infrastructure. But what we've been seeing more and more of in these movies is whether institutions will be destroyed and whether the political institutions and like the national institutions will survive a particular crisis and you know in the nolan films and the batman films we spend a lot of time with the mayor of gotham city like hearing about his concerns and you know in the winter soldier we actually worry about the national the u.s government and like these spy agencies and whether they're going to survive and the united nations gets destroyed in another one of those movies yeah it makes me think of um luke cage which was such an interesting tv series and how so much of it actually a lot of the stuff that I loved in it had to do with questions around gentrification and how do you preserve 
a historic neighborhood that has a specific community, in this case, the African-American community, and like all the dirty dealings that are going on with the city and like trying to develop different kinds of housing projects. And again, I mean, as a city geek, I loved that. And I thought it was, um, you know, so interesting, but you're right. That's, that's a new thing. The idea of you have the minutia of like city politics or political um, process being part of these stories. Yeah, and I think it's been in the comics for longer. Like uh, Brian K. Vaughn did a series back in the day called Ex Machina about a superhero who becomes mayor of New York, if I'm remembering correctly. And there have been other superhero comics that have kind of tried to work in a more granular examination of politics into the story. But it's definitely a newer thing for the movies to really attempt to kind of replicate that on screen. And I think it's one of the reasons for their staying power is that they no longer just feel like things are going to explode, like there's going to be a physical explosion. It's like the the Joker in The Dark Knight wants to bring out a bring about a cultural and political explosion. Yeah, he's, he's a burn-it-all-down anarchist, you know? Yeah. And that's part of why he's charismatic, because I think all of us have that feeling sometimes, like, just like, yeah, just fuck it all, you know? Because he yeah. doesn't he doesn't represent evil in the sense that he's not sort of like, let's imprison everyone or control everyone's mind. He represents just pure anarchy. He's a destabilizing force, and he wants to reveal the truth about society, which mm-hmm. is that it's all fake. And, you know, another thing that's contributed to the longevity of superhero movies is this kind of shared universe concept, which, you know, Avengers Infinity War is the kind of tail end of 10 years of building up this shared setting where all these different characters intersect. And, you know, you've seen other universes trying to copy that, like DC Comics has tried a couple of times now, I think. And it feels as though that's a thing that kind of creates a sense of a, a greater reality, a greater sense that mm-hmm. these heroes world building coexist together and that, yeah, it's world building and it's not like you have to start from scratch every single time. Like, I'm the first person ever to put a costume on in this world. <laughs> We're starting from zero. It's like, no, there's a history. Yeah. There's like a background. But it also feels like it can very easily kind of dovetail into or kind of degrade into kind of just, you know, stuff for the internet to kind of dissect and obsess about. Yeah, I actually, um, a few years ago, I bought the collection um, Crisis on Infinite Earths because, A, I think it's a great title for anything, um, (laughs) but also because I just, I had heard so much about this insane train wreck that happened in the comics when they had so many different crossovers and so many different worlds, and I was like, how did they resolve this? And the answer is, it's a train wreck. You see, because of me, he realized that as each positive matter universe died, his antimatter universe would absorb its energies and he would grow even stronger. Because of me, the destruction of the multiverse began. An infinity of universes have suffered for my sins. Um, and I, I think to me, like the more characters you add into like an Avengers type storyline, it just gets, it just, it ends up feeling like and here's this character doing their thing. And here's this character doing their thing. And it's that's fine if you're playing with action figures on your dining room table, which I may or may not do sometimes. <laughs> um, but I think in a movie, it just gets so overburdened. It doesn't feel like it's moving forward. It just feels like it's a giant puddle of references. You know, it's just, okay, we got to have everything in there. And I'm not I'm not feeling like there's, a politi- there's any politics at stake. I feel like there's no, um, no arc. No personal stakes. 
I mean, that's the problem in like, you know, a couple of movies come to mind, Batman versus Superman and also uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 are two films that feel very much as though they're trying so hard to get you interested in other movies that haven't come out yet that they don't get around to just telling the story that they're telling. Justice League is another, but I mean, it's a perfect example of just like the characters are just sort of all on screen and that's just the whole point is like to have them. It's it's, it's like a catwalk type movie. You know, it's just like march them out. Look how great they look in their costumes. They have cute butts. They're made made partially of electricity. Woo. Um, Love that. (laughs) I would watch Cyborg and like Aquaman and Flash just hang out for a few hours. I want a Cyborg movie so badly. Like that was when I came away from that film, like I kept thinking, the only character in this movie who has an arc is Cyborg and it's a super interesting arc I was so there for him and then it was just squandered it was like oh, okay well that's just because he'll be able to interface with the other stuff and like right. <laughs> yeah and with the a- power stones or whatever they're called I know I'm a terrible geek I should know what those are called but I don't care and as a huge fan of Joe Morton I just want to see Joe Morton play a mad scientist in everything I've been Joe Morton's fan since Brother from Another Planet when he played an escaped alien slave. Eureka? Um, uh, Eureka, uh, Terminator. He's just, he's the he's ultimate. He's always great. He's he just should, a super great geek, so He yay. should be every mad scientist. <laughs> anyway, uh, but getting back to, so another thing about superhero movies that like really feels like it expands and like opens up the genre is just that some of these superheroes are actually monsters. And I know that's a subject close to your heart. I know. Well, I've, Hulk is my hero. Like I am all in for Hulk. I've been a Hulk fan since I was a really little kid. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Although I have to say my my honorary nephew, Kay, uh, who is eight years old and I've shared a lot of superhero culture with him, he hates Hulk because he says, Hulk can't even control himself. How can you like a character that doesn't control themselves? That's a and point. It's, it's a good point. And maybe when you're eight, that's like a big issue. But for me, I love the fact that he has this power that is both destructive and incredibly useful. And that that and that, that rips his mind apart and that that really hurts him. But there's other examples too. The new, uh, com- well, relatively new now series Monstrous by Marjorie Liu from Image Comics has is explicitly dealing with this as well. There's a character who actually is kind of like a supernatural version of Hulk. She has a monster that lives within her or a, a great spiritual force that lives within her that she can't really control and that does save her life, but also is kind of destructive. And I, I love that that character is becoming uh, you know, more and more visible in so many of these stories. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting, like, if we're talking about superheroes as, like, the individual has great power and has to figure out how to use it wisely and has to sit and think, gosh, should I use my power to save that school bus full of nuns? I don't know. I'm going to think about it for a minute. Oh, shoot, the school bus is going off the bridge. I got to go. You know, that thing, like, it's usually this very virtuous, like, kind of, like, slightly nerdy, introspective character but when you have a monster who just sometimes acts out and has power that not only do they have to figure out how to use it wisely but they have to control it and keep it from just like overwhelming everything Mm -hmm. i think that that's in a lot of ways a more realistic depiction of what power is like power is not a thing where you sit back and think well gee what am i going to do with this power that i've got it's more like I'm going to destroy a bunch of stuff. How much stuff am I going to destroy? Will I be able to do any good in the process of destroying a bunch of stuff? That's like real power in the real world. It's interesting because as you were saying that, it was making me think about how we often talk about powerful technologies and powerful weapons. 
where the the technology and the weapon they don't have any opinions you know it's it's how they're used they represent a kind of raw power and that's kind of what's happening with both monstrous and the hulk um and some other characters too in in other series where they have access to something that is basically as you said just raw power and how do you guide that and how do you make sure that there's as little collateral damage as possible and the and the thing is is that there's always collateral damage and that's what's so poignant about the hulk is that he never is able to use his power in a way that doesn't destroy things that shouldn't be destroyed including his own life that kind of dark lesson um, lurks under a lot of these stories and i think that's why for example so many comic books especially in like the 60s were so campy and silly mm-hmm. and goofy because it was trying to bring levity to something that's actually really intense and dark yeah and we wanted to talk about campiness and, and sort of cheesiness and like because it's interesting the last 25 years of superhero movies the arc or even the last 30 years really the arc has been away from campiness and cheesiness and then toward realize, like the grim dark <laughs> yeah toward christopher nolan and towards like yeah. some other really dark things and you know the idea was that if we could just there's all these kind of cartoony silly kind of campy trappings attached to these characters batman is like super smart and super strong and has this dark origin but he also says chum a lot he is he calls his he calls robin <laughs> chum and he's like kind of like a jolly good fellow who mm-hmm. goes around being jolly and like you know that was like the classic batman for a long time not just in the tv show but also in the comics Mm -hmm. and there was this idea that if we can just strip that away we can get to what's really great about the character but you know i think that in retrospect the campiness the cheesiness the kind of cartooniness of these characters enables you to look at the kind of like arguably somewhat ugly fantasy of like there's one guy who has all this power or in the case of batman all this skill and he knows better than everybody else what's good for us and he's going to fix everything that's actually kind of a disturbing fantasy if you look at it without kind of being like you know yeah we're just all being silly and goofing around here and that may be one reason why you know every time we try to strip the campiness and silliness and goofiness away from superheroes it has a way of coming back there was a thing like a year or two ago where Deadpool came out and just crushed the X-Men movie that it just, there was like another X-Men movie, which was like the 10th X-Men movie, which was like <laughs> X-Men even darker and sadder. <laughs> also with pointy bits. <laughs> yeah. Dex, X-Men super sad this time. And Deadpool was fun and it was goofy and silly yeah. and kind of like wacky. Mm-hmm. And like, which one did audiences want to see? They wanted to see Deadpool. Join us. Use your powers for good. Heads up. Be a superhero. Listen, the day I decide to become a crime-fighting shit-swizzler who rooms with a bunch of other little whiners at the Neverland Mansion of some creepy, old, bald, Heaven's Gate-looking motherfucker on that day. And, like, you know, I feel like Lego Batman in some ways was, like, a more interesting and compelling Batman movie than Batman versus Superman. I'm sorry. And then we had Guardians of the Galaxy, which was explicitly trying to be campy and disco colored. And 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 that's Thor Ragnarok is kind of borrowing that same style. And I mean, interestingly, those styles all do hark back to these earlier points in history too. And we even have, you know, musical cues that Mm -hmm. kind of remind us of the seventies and this kind of more campy time. So at the same time you get this, 
kind of resurgence of darkness too and and weird combinations of it for example hellboy both the comic and the movies are incredibly dark but also like fun and colorful and hellboy i mean if you think about it he's from hell and he's basically been enslaved by various war machines over the years he's he doesn't and, and he has to shave down his horns to try to fit in even though he'll never fit in and he's kind of a hell creature he's kind of a slave um and you know his whole job is just to basically get beaten up by by bad guys um that's a pretty grim story and at the same time uh in the 90s you had things like buffy the vampire slayer which similarly had these really dark themes involving hell and involving just getting constantly beaten the crap out of and and feeling you know buffy and her friends don't feel like they fit in but it's a fun zingy show lots of humor and so you get these these funny hybrids of like that the sort of colorful campiness with like really, really dark themes. Yeah. And actually, the thing you mentioned of like the darkness and also the campiness and the kind of silliness alongside the darkness, I think that is part of what defines superheroes as a genre is like how they blend mm-hmm. the kind of heightened reality with also like a really dark core of emotion and I think that we were talking in the beginning about what makes something a superhero story versus just why is Logan a superhero story versus just a story about like an old guy looking back on his life washed up old wrestler yeah exactly why is Logan a superhero story and part of that is that he has powers but part of it is also that there's a sense of heightened reality and heightened reality can often become kind of campiness and cheesiness And you mentioning Buffy made me think a little bit about how a lot of times the best superhero stories are on television right now. I've been obsessively watching uh, Supergirl, which I feel like has become just the most empowering show ever. She's at this point completely put Superman in his place a couple of times. And he is now just like, Supergirl, you tell me what you think we should be doing because you've already kicked my ass and you are. This is something you know more about than me. I've been watching Legends of Tomorrow, which is just the most fun. And, you know, we already mentioned Luke Cage and there's also Jessica Jones. Both of us are huge fans of Steven Universe, which I think uh, fits in nicely to a kind of campy superhero story. It is about the Crystal Gems, who are aliens, uh, who are, I think someone described them to to us as lesbian geodes from another planet. It was something (laughs) like that. Yeah. Um, And... uh, (laughs) Which I sort of love. I love that. Super love that. And but I mean, it's it's dealing with you know all the classic questions of a superhero, like saving the world and intergalactic fights and multiple universes and a kid who's trying to figure out how to be a hero. Um, yeah, a literal chosen one who is on that journey, but it has that classic blend of very light and fun with like huge darkness at the center. There is that's the thing that with Steven Universe, I found so fascinating is that as the show has gone on, how many of the themes are really heavy. Like they're about global environmental disaster and colonization and slavery and conformity being bicultural because of course, Steven is both human and Jim. And it's just, it's really incredible how they they manage to balance those two things, especially in a kid's show. Yeah, I'm in awe of it. So I wanted to close with just like the question of like, if superheroes are really about the individual who has powers or destiny or whatever, and his or maybe her role in the world, you know, how do we get to more superhero movies 
that are more like Black Panther and that are about a community rather than just the individual? And I, I don't have an answer to that. I just wanted well, to... Well, I mean, we were just talking about Steven Universe, which I think is a good kind of answer to that question in some ways, because one of the things that uh, fans love about this show is that it is about community. It's about friendship. They have a fantastic uh, visual metaphor for how friendships can work when the characters um, merge with each other to become more powerful than they are as individuals. Look here, Stephen. When we synchronize our forms, we can combine into a powerful fusion gem named Opal. It seems like any number can merge. Um, you know, it could be three or four. We've seen, we met one character who I think is more six, six or, I think, um, yeah. who's, who's an outcast because you're not supposed to merge that many uh, gems together. But we see immediately, like I said, visually, that th this is a show that really believes that you can't really do stuff on your own. And, and trying to do stuff on your own is actually the wrong direction. It can get you in trouble. It can cause uh, destruction. Um, but I also think that, you know, looking to something like Black Panther, yeah, how do you have a superhero who fits into a community like that? Um, like a nation building uh, type of exercise. I mean, are there or, other are there other stories that you feel like do that? I mean, I feel like Ms. Marvel is the thing I love that it's really about Jersey City. It's about like the community that she's in. Mm -hmm. And then actually, my final thought, I guess, is that what makes what makes me usually fall in love with a superhero comic is not so much the hero or heroine or whatever, but the supporting cast who in my favorite comics usually do not have superpowers of their own. They're usually just like around. They're people who are just supporting the main character like Squirrel Girl has like a whole bunch of friends who are around her who are just regular people like her college roommate and like a bunch of other folks who are just in her world. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what makes me come back to a superhero comic and that's the thing that superhero movies on the whole have failed to really capture and you see it more on the TV shows but the idea of like the supporting cast who just have regular world problems and who ground the character in a town or a neighborhood or a place that is a whole community. I think that's something that I would love to see superhero movies kind of explore more fully. And I think one of the superhero stories that has returned to that question again and again is X-Men in a variety of different ways. Yes. I mean, it, it does it does sort of fit what we were criticizing earlier where you get a bunch of superpowered characters together and it's kind of just like all, you know, the soup is full of things. <laughs> but it also... Casserole. Casserole, yeah. The casserole has lots and lots of like <laughs> invisible parts and like yeah. pointy parts and lava parts and stuff. But anyway, I think what... What X-Men has posed as a question throughout its run as a story and which has become kind of fundamental to a lot of comics is do we assimilate and try to help the broader community or do we turn ourselves into an elite group that enslaves humanity or enslaves the community? And it's basically the question is social democracy or oligarchy? And it's a powerful question. Oftentimes when people talk about uh, good guys and bad guys, I hear people saying things like, it's a Magneto, it's a situation that's kind of like Xavier versus Magneto. And it's shorthand for that question of like, do we want a democracy or do we want some kind of authoritarian regime? Even And, and you know, of course the idea in the X-Men is that maybe the authoritarian regime, especially in some of the later movies, would be kinder and gentler because, you know, Magneto has suffered and understands that it's terrible to be, you know, uh, the victim of genocide or to have your family be the victim of genocide. But of course he's come out 
the wrong end. You know, he wants to be Hitler instead of, um, you know, Schindler or whatever. Thinking about those questions uh, is really important when you're world building around a hero. Like, how do you, what is the social structure that they represent? So that's our show. And we'll be back in two weeks. You can subscribe to us in all the places like iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And of course, on the web at ouropinionsarecorrect.com and on Twitter at OOACpod. Uh, Thanks to Veronica Cinemanetti at Women's Audio Mission for editing. And thanks to Chris Palmer for the amazing music. And if you like the podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Leave a little message saying that you like it. Um, That helps a lot. Bye. Bye! Bye!